Welcome, Lost Without Japan listeners, and also those of you coming from Deep in Japan or just listening directly through Deep in Japan with this collaboration. So I wanted to give a heads up for those of you that normally screen shows or are accustomed to a certain type of show from Lost Without Japan. If you are a parent that normally screens these episodes for their child, this would not be the episode that I would recommend you giving them uh, to listen to. If you haven't noticed already, there is an explicit tag on today's episode and a label that says Happier Hour with Jeff from Deep in Japan. Those of you familiar with this show know that their happy hour uh, is one of those shows that can kind of go off the rails and involve a lot of explicit language. Now, I don't think that we got off the rails as much as he normally does uh, during those happy hour shows, but it is something that I want you to be aware of because this show may not be for everybody, but it is something that I've wanted to do since first listening to Jeff's show back a number of years ago now. There's really two shows that I had in mind that I wanted to get and record with this year. I've already recorded with Japan 2.0, and Jeff allowed me to make that dream come true by talking to him today. So those of you that have made it to this point and want to continue on, I want to, to let you know that this interview with Jeff really gets into some in-depth information about his early years, how he made it to Japan. And for those of you that are fans of his show, or just finding some off-the-beaten-path places as well, you're going to really enjoy today's interview. Without further ado, let's get to our show like we normally do. Thank you again. Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to a special Lost Without Moments bonus interview episode of the Lost Without Japan podcast. Our bi-weekly podcast is focused on Japan, as well as these special episodes that where we build upon our community of Lost Without Japan listeners and talk to each other about our very own Lost Without Moments. This is your very own Kanko Gaido for TKIC Studio Productions coming to you with hopes and dreams of a return to travel for you listeners in 2022 and for my son and I in 2023. I'd like to thank you all for giving me a bit of your time today, and I truly hope this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at this moment. My belief is that we could all use a beacon like this one in our lives to help us, and I hope that Japan and this podcast will become that for you. If you're a returning Lost Without listener, thank you again for joining. And if you're new to the show, you're in for a treat today. And I would say that this is you know, a little off of what we do, but uh, feel free to start here and then you know, go back from here or forwards, depending on when you listen to this. I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, but for today's show, let me introduce the host of Deep in Japan, Jeff 
Krieger, my senpai, I should say, one of my senpais, his podcast is one that I discovered back in 2017 as I was beginning to do research for my solo trip to Japan. Jeff's podcast is largely responsible for helping me get through my work week, like every week, and keeping up with the memes on Japan and getting his sound quality expertise is just one of the reasons that you hear me as well as you hear me now. Deep in Japan has a wonderful backlog of over 160 episodes for your enjoyment, as well as a few behind-the-show patron paywall episodes that are totally worth that money. His interviews with authors that have written about Japan is what first attracted me to the show, but his humor and genuineness and ability to make me laugh has kept me a listener for all these years. I feel so very fortunate today to have podcast royalty join me for an interview with Lost Without Japan. Welcome, Jeff, and thank you for making time for the Lost Without Japan listeners. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. I don't know if I deserve that introduction. And I didn't even know how many episodes I had out. So thank you for counting. I'm glad somebody is. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here, man. I'm really happy to be here. And I, I hope that I don't do anything to, to offend your, your listeners. I'm going to try really hard not to use any foul language. But, you know, for me, a guy with no filter, it can sometimes be hard. And then there's also the, that thing where, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going to offend people. So there are words that I think are explicit that are explicit. Then there are other words that are, that I think are not explicit, but they are explicit to other people. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be on my best behavior today and I'm going to try to, uh, to be a good guest. I, I don't know how to be a guest actually. I'm always the host. So if I, if I start turning the tables on you, flipping questions at you and trying to take control, uh, please wrestle me back into submission and, uh, yeah, apologies for apologies for everything in advance just that I might do to, uh, I hope I don't destroy your podcast. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> it, it was it was a good year. It was a nice run. You know? <laughs> I just figured what a way to go out, though. That's right. Wait, what a way to go out. Like, but I figured with that introduction I gave you, Trevor could listen. I mean, he doesn't listen anyways. But maybe you could get him to listen to just the beginning, your co-host, and he could see how to introduce you. I mean, it's still something we're working on with him. Mike, that episode that we did together that eventually I had to retract because it was so offensive to him. I guarantee you that he has it downloaded somewhere and he listens to it in the dark, but he probably listens to it like weekly and has thoughts that only he could have that only he could understand really. So, uh, you say, you know, Oh, this will be great. It'll be something that he can listen to. I'm sure he'll jump right on it and listen to it at least, you know, 10 to 20 times. So don't <laughs> worry. He's a, he's a listener. I need the help with the, you know, the download. So we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, I'm not going to be picky where it comes from. So, uh, but before we get to going too much into today's episode, where can listeners find and enjoy listening to your podcast and hear all the benefits that come from listening to your show, including that recommendation for great sauce and being a part of that Deep in Japan Discord? So I don't know if people want to listen to that. I don't even recommend listening to the podcast. Uh, but if there are some weird savages out there that want to give it a listen, by all means, you should be able to find it anywhere where podcasts can be got if you just search for Deep in Japan or my name, Jeff Kruger. Uh, that stuff should all probably come up. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I might give a little bit of a warning. The, the Uncensored Japan episodes, formerly known as Happy Hours, tend to rankle people sometimes. So you might want to just skip those and go directly to the interviews with, with famous people. 
if that's what you like. So with that caveat there, yeah, just do a search for Deep in Japan. You should be able to find it. Uh, if not, you can reach out to me. I'll share my email in the show notes, and I'm happy to start a dialogue directly with anybody who's who's curious as well. You know, and like I say, Jeff, I don't know about you, but they don't have to listen. They can mute the podcast. Just push play. The listens is what's all, all that matters. I don't think they could tell if the volume's up or not. Yeah, I did an episode and somebody was like, uh, it sounds like locker room talk. It was it was one of those happy hour episodes. And I was like, well, yeah, it kind of is. You know, I, don't, I miss the locker room in a way. You know, I'm like 46. I almost can't really quite remember the locker room. It was a traumatic experience for me, actually. But but the idea of a of a locker room and having people that you can say anything with. Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that's a space that maybe I, I long for. And if it's not for you, then uh, turn it off. I mean, and we don't need to, right? We don't, no, <laughs> not I, I everything has that. to be for everyone. No, no, that's for sure. But I will tell you, um, even if you question, you know, whether or not to listen to Happy Hour, hey, I get it. Listen to those interviews. They're amazing. I mean, when you have someone who wrote Tokyo Vice um, on your show, and that's now an HBO show, uh, the interviews are fantastic. So start there. I've been chasing Jake Adelstein for years. Like we had conversations going back and forth in DMs. And it, you know, I thought it was going to happen. Then it was like, got postponed. And then, and then there was the whole like, well, I don't know, there's, I've got NDAs with, with HBO. And I thought, okay, now that the show's out, my chances of getting Jake on the show are just zero. But it was actually after the show came out that I was finally able to sort of get him to come on the show and and share things with me. So um, yeah, Jake was was a great guest. And, um, you know, there have been a lot of great guests, in my opinion. Roger, all of them, really. Roger Pulvers is one that comes to mind. But it makes my job easy because I don't have to do anything. You just invite somebody amazing onto your show you know, press record. And if you can shut the fuck up, which is really hard for me, but if you can, they just say all the amazing stuff and I take the credit and it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's kind of like putting on a suit. Everybody looks better in a suit, right? I mean, that's, that, that's really what it does. And some of the interviews I've had recently, um, you know, with people that are running businesses out of Japan, they do an amazing job. And the feedback I receive from that is so much better <laughs> than just when it's just myself talking. So I'm going to take it there. But Jeff, uh, we could probably ramble for about three hours and not really talk about anything, uh, which seems which to be I like what, to do. But <laughs> really, that's all that matters. I mean, we could we could call this happier hour as the episode title um, and just, you know, take it off the rails completely. But before we do something like that, By the way, I think I just used the F word without like unconsciously. <laughs> so you might want to put a marker in your audio now so that you can go back and beat that up. Apologies. I'm doing my best here. Sorry. I'll he put really that is. On I mean, now. this is this is this is pretty, pretty good. I, I figure I've got up to listen to this, Jeff, no matter what. So, you know, I'll leave it in there for myself. Uh, you know, if any of you are out there would like to listen to uh, the unedited version of the show, feel free to reach out. Um, but. Let's let's go on to talking about uh, the Jeff, and uh, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. And this spot of the show is really just for you to share what you'd like to share about yourself. You know where you're born, grew sure. up. Uh, you know we'll go into some more, but feel free to share what you want to, my friend. Yeah, okay. I'll give you just like a really quick overview. I was born on July nineteenth, nineteen seventy six, in the vanilla suburbs. Well, I th- actually, I was born in the city of Portland, but then quickly my white family retreated into the vanilla suburbs of Gladstone, which is where I was raised. So I grew up in this, in this place that was really untouched by uh, anything that I think people are dealing with today. 
there was no, there was, there was nothing. It was just me and like GI Joe toys and going off into the forest. And, you know, we would pretend we would play Fortnite in the forest with our fingers, ba, 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 you know, like you're dead. I shot you, you know, I mean, I grew up at a time where there literally, there were like figurines that you would play with. And then when, when you got bored with that, you would climb a tree and fall out of it and break your arm or run into the forest, you know, um, and Oregon is blessed with, with nature. So we've got rivers, mountains, streams, beautiful forests. And we were always going out into that uh, as a family. And so, I mean, I grew up in this sort of pristine environment, you know, with the beaches, the Oregon coast are just absolutely pristine and, and gorgeous. And because it's kind of cold, there weren't a lot of people and, and the population bomb hadn't really exploded. It was just this wonderful, idyllic place where there wasn't a lot of trouble. Now, I say that, and maybe, maybe there was under the surface. I don't know. Like, apparently, when I was growing up, there was that whole Roshnish thing out in <laughs> Eastern Oregon. There's a great Netflix documentary about it. I mean, obviously, there were political things and whatnot, but it just didn't seem like there was a lot going on. It seemed very carefree and idyllic as, as a kid. So I grew up doing that. And then um, I needed to get a language requirement out of the way. As a philosophy student, that's, you know, a Bachelor of, of Arts, you need to have that. And my friend was like, just, just go study Japanese and go to Japan like I did. You know, it's an easy language. They don't distinguish between <laughs> future tense and the, and the present tense. And they don't distinguish between plural and singular. It's just, it's so easy, man. And I was like, huh. I was looking for a language that was easier than Spanish. So, and I was really <laughs> stupid. So everything he said, I was sold on it. And I was like, okay, great. And I applied for, actually... Actually, I needed to get a year of study under my belt before applying. But he's like, look, just take the classes. Don't even go. I'll tutor you before each test. You, you know, and then after a year, you can apply for this uh, exchange program, the one that I was on. And you'll, you'll get to go to Japan. So I, I did that. And somehow I got like a B average. And then when it came time to apply, I was really lazy. I didn't even really want to. He ended up applying for me. I think I was sleeping on, on the sofa a little bit hungover that morning on the, like the deadline for the application. And he's like, dude, come on, you can get off your ass. Do something. And I'm like, eh. think, like thinking about it in a little hungover haze. I'm like, do I really want to go to Japan for a year? I'm out. I don't, I don't know if I do. So he just went out and he applied for me in my place, which was just crazy. I don't think I've had anybody apply for me other than maybe like my mom for anything in my life. Although maybe my wife does now, to be honest with you, she manages most of my affairs, but, uh, <laughs> He applied for me and I somehow got accepted for this one year program at Waseda. And that's how my career, I say career, that's how my life in Japan kind of got uh, kickstarted. And I quickly fell in love with Japan and I just wanted to stay here longer. It was always kind of like, maybe I'll do another year, maybe I'll do another three years or whatever. It was, it just always kept getting postponed or extended like the the amount of time i was going to stay here there's there's more to learn there's more to see there's more to do and it just kept going like that until eventually things snowballed into me having a wife and kids and then it was like okay well i guess i'm i guess i, I guess this is where i live now you know i never really i i can't say that like most of the people that come to japan that i wasn't really like dead set on getting here it seemed like a good idea but then when i got here i was completely charmed by japan and I never really was like, okay, this is going to be my home. I'm going to make this my home. It just kind of developed into that. So I guess, yeah, I mean, life happens to you in a way. And I guess Japan just kind of happened to me. And, you know, since, since coming here, I think I've changed quite a bit. 
Um, but when I speak English, I revert to this high school character of myself <laughs> because that's, I mean, I left the United States when I was 24 years old and I really, I really got in deep to the Japanese language and Japanese culture to the point where like my first five years here, like, I don't think I even spoke English. I was out in the middle of the countryside interacting with the BOE uh, English teachers that don't speak English. It was so difficult to communicate with them. So we would largely speak in broken Japanese or broken English. But a lot of my interactions were like with the BOE uh, on the weekend at these drinking parties that we would have. And we would just get, I mean, looking back, it's not the healthiest lifestyle, but we would just get wasted and talk about everything under the sun in Japanese or whatever broken English they can muster. And that's kind of how I approached the language. And I got, I got in there and, and I just sort of forgot everything behind that. I, I, I sort of, I mean, when I speak Japanese, I feel like I'm almost a different person, to be honest with you. Um, and maybe we should, maybe we should do this interview in Japanese. I don't know. Maybe that would be more proper. I definitely wouldn't say any, anything bad. I wouldn't have any, any cuss words to share, but, uh, but yeah, there's this sort of Jeff for the 24 years prior to coming to Japan. And then what has it been now? It's almost been, it's almost been 24 years. I think it's been 23 since I came to Japan because I came to Japan in 2000, it's 2022. Now we're approaching summer. This will be my, I'm going into my 23rd year. Next year, you can divide my life in half. You know, half of it was growing up in the United States. And then the other half of it as an adult was in Japan. So that's where I'm at now. And I'm just sort of trying to get to whatever the next stage or level mentally, like what that's going to be. I'm a father of three. My kids are now getting to the age where they're, I mean, they're not as old as your kids, but they're getting there, right? They're eventually they're going to be graduating from high school. I'm going to be the father of, of university students are going to get married. Like, what is that going to mean? That's going to be such a weird conversation to have a boy show up and try to do the whole, may I marry your daughter thing? You know, uh, Will it be in Japanese? What's, what's that going to be like? I mean, it's, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out what it means to be a father of three Hafu kids in the countryside of Japan, because there's not a lot of models out there. I mean, there's some, you can get into some communities, communities on Facebook and, you know, you can interact with people who are going through this with you, but I don't feel like there are any well-trodden paths. I feel like we're all kind of trailblazers in this. So, you know, it's, it's a new world. It's a new Japan and we're making it day by day. And, um, I appreciate people like you who are, who've got your finger on the pulse and who are, who are curious about Japan. And I mean, it's just, it's just, I'm, I'm just happy to be a part of this whole podcasting community and to make new friends and to explore this life that we're given, that we're blessed with. It's true. And I, I think you've said numerous times as well, but you know, those, you find that people that are into japan or japanese or whatever it is there's a lot of good people that are in it and uh makes a difference and you know you at 24 going off to japan me at 24 having my first kid i mean a lot of similarities there <laughs> you know but uh our childhood sounds a lot alike you know i grew up in kentucky and a lot of my time was spent out with gi joes in the front yard um running through the big storm drains uh and you know trying to build forts and play hide and seek in places we shouldn't yeah, have man. been you know, but I can't say much because our uh, our field trips were to uh, tobacco auctions. And if you were a good kid at the tobacco auction, Jeff, you got to bring home your own ear of tobacco. I mean, that says a lot about <laughs> where I was. So, <laughs> you know, That's just, hilarious. You know, it's good times, good times, different times. 
but for you, like, what was that lost without moment or moments? I know you talked a little bit, you know, about what got you there is the language, meeting your wife and things like that. But what are those moments that stick out the most to you from your, like, time in Japan? I mean, you've had so many years of being there, but is there anything that really is that, like, you know, lost without moment? When you say that, unpack the language for me a little bit. Like, are these moments that, like, I look back on and I really cherish? Are these moments that, is that, go ahead, sorry, unpack that for me a little bit. See, there's a bunch of ways you can go with it, Jeff. And I said it could be something along the lines of that. And I like to think of it like, if you look back at your life, um, those moments that you have in Japan that truly, like, if you looked back, you're laying in your deathbed when you're 107 because you live in Japan and live a healthier God, lifestyle I hope I'm 107. Than I do. Actually, <laughs> I don't know. That'd be kind of. <laughs> you know, but, you know, you're looking back at all of that. What would be the moments you would miss the most if they mm. weren't a part of your life? I guess that's really what I'm, you know, looking for for that time. Sure. Um, you know, there's so many, but. Um... When I when I go back to Oregon, I feel like that's when I really reflect on my time in Japan and the things that I miss the most about Japan. And a lot of times it's simple things like going to the onsen and taking a bath. I don't know what it is about about onsen, but there's something that really it it, it draws me. Um I miss it because of the pandemic. I feel like it's been a couple of years now since I could go to an onsen. But my family and I used to do that regularly. We would go out, we would explore, because it's exploratory too. You know, Japan has onsens all over the country. And so if you get out in your car or whatever, whatever transportation you have at your disposal, and in Japan, there's, there's great options there. But if you get out and explore, you can find new onsen, new sento all over the place. And especially in Nagano, you know, you can go up in, on, a, on a mountainside and you can find this little joint, you know, Maybe it's like a traditional sort of like wood framed hut. Um, it's got really hot, you know, natural spring water. And you get into the bath and you just look out over a valley that's nothing but rice fields. And there's, there's a sense of peace that I've never felt ever in my life. Like I've, it's, and I just try to recreate that nowadays. I'm like, where can, what, what can we do to just get away from all this shit, to just go someplace that's just absolutely dead quiet, nothing but like birds chirping, maybe the, the rustle of some trees with the wind. And you sit in that water and the silence just drops on you. And it's almost like getting high, man. It's like, which I, I know a lot about because I used to, I come from Oregon, you know, and I... <laughs> And maybe that's what I'm seeking is this altered state where you're aware of your presence in the cosmos in a way that you're not on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of people, they'll, they'll say, you know, oh, I know why Japanese people live so long. It's the green tea. Oh, it, no, it's ikigai. They've got a reason for living. Oh, it's gardening. They, they spend a lot of time gardening. No, man, it's, it's the rice. No, it's the Japanese. No, it's the pigs. Like in Okinawa, they eat the whole pig. That's why Japanese people live so long. You got to eat the whole pig. Whatever. <laughs> no, man. It's the onsen. It's people getting 30 minutes to 45 minutes of meditation every night. And you can have the, in Japan, has, it's a high stress economy. You've got so much stress. 
How do you get rid of it? You have a beer and then you go take a bath and you wash away not only everything on your skin, but everything from your mind, all the detritus that you built up during the day that society throws on you, man. And you just wash that shit away and you reset. You're, it's like a reset switch. It's so and true. I think that so more true. than anything is what I love. No, so true. And I got to say, like, that's one of the biggest things I miss about being in Japan is that onsen and then a bath I can fit in, Jeff, because just <laughs> you know, just being able to do that shower, clean yourself, get into a bathtub that I fit in that is at a nice temperature and sit and relax at night is like huge. You know, now I have to rely upon, uh, you know, like apps to do my Zen moment. And that's if I remember to do that Zen in 30 or Zen in 10 and, you know, all those things. And it's. You know, I, I feel like as time goes on, I mean, you find yourself more and more anxious, more and more anxiety as, you know, things are going on and the world's doing what it's continuing to do right now. You need to find those things. And man, if I was independently wealthy right now, Jeff, and I couldn't just get to Japan at this moment, I'd have a big old bathtub in my you know bathroom right now that I could just every night just chill out in. Preach, brother. I mean, I, I'm reminded of Joe Rogan, who had the uh, sensory deprivation tank in his basement of his old house before he moved. Get an onsen in your basement, man. If you got the money, if you got the means, that's where I would go for sure. Your show and Japan, like 2.0, were like the two shows that inspired. Yeah. They're, they're great people, and they're going to be so jealous that I got to talk to you first. Let me tell you, Jeff. Um, <laughs> I listened to your podcast with them. It was awesome. I love those guys. If yes. I don't know what they want to do with a schlep like me, but if they ever want to have me on the show, they're they're more than welcome to reach out. I would love to sync up and yeah, it'd be great. They're they're great, but it's like I look at you two, and you know, I got a lot lot of inspiration uh, to do the podcast that I'm doing now. What led to you wanting to create your own podcast, and is it true? You know, you had something possibly before Deep in Japan. Yeah, I've been, I've been exploring the idea for a long time, actually. Um, I've always been interested in history and just, you know, how, like, not just, not just history, but my own personal history. Like, how do we chronicle things? How do we, I've always been curious and, and wanting to pay attention to the passage of time and Podcasts are interesting in that you get to hear yourself speak in a bubble of time. Like if you go back and you listen to yourself, it's ridiculous. You like who who is that? Like <laughs> it's just this little moment in time, an interaction that you had with somebody, and you're you're a different person every time you interact with somebody. So that's interesting as well. Um, but you also get to hear how you communicate the little idiosyncrasies in your voice. You get to hear that objectively. You get to hear how you sound. So I was curious about that right from the beginning. And I did want to, to do something. I felt like there was a, a, a space for that because there's, there's always been so much stuff popping up off in Japan. And, you know, you've, there've been various communities, for example, like, um, a big daikon was, uh, was a bulletin board that I was a part of. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that out loud. I mean, I feel like only the weirdest <laughs> expats in the world were involved in that. It was so this bad is, it eventually got shut down, probably by the CIA. I wouldn't even be surprised. <laughs> this, is a, this is a, you know, safe zone, Jeff. Don't you worry about it. I mean, we so self-proclaim. Okay. We're, we're getting you to get to that Weibo status. You're not quite, 
I mean, you, I know Not the last show, you, you know, you were you were saying, am I yet? I mean, like, you're really close, really close. You Trevor's know? ready to rubber stamp it, but I don't know. I don't <laughs> I don't think I'm there yet. But um, I felt like Gaijin are, have always been talking. Expats have always been talking amongst themselves about this experience that they're having, which is at one and the same time, similar but unique. Like we're we're all here having this Japan experience, and there's there are so many overlaps to like our experiences, but it's so different in so many ways. And the way we perceive Japan is so different. Like I can think of a person that no matter what, he's always got this negative way, this negative lens. It doesn't just have to be Japan. He just happens to be in Japan. And so he views Japan with this negative lens. But everybody's got different lenses, as it were. And I'm curious about that. And I felt like podcasting would be a great vehicle to sort of explore these lenses and also to get into the experience that people have here, like this, the specifics, like I really want to hear stories, for example. So yeah, I was, um, I was podcasting prior to, you know, when the first episodes are up, uh, well, trying to podcast anyway, I was, the first thing that I started doing was I wanted, there was, Gaijin would get together and, you know, expats would get together and they'd have parties like barbecues. It's a very common thing to do all over Japan. You've got expats gathering together and having parties. Sometimes there's Japanese people there mixed in. Sometimes there's not. But they get together, they drink and they talk. And I thought this would be a great thing to record because it's always so different. It's always so unique, like the things that they talk about. So I started trying to do that. And when you tell somebody that you're podcasting, uh, it's almost it like legitimizes you recording them. Like you don't feel like such a weirdo, like a voyeur or something like that, <laughs> trying to get in there and record something that's happening. Um, so I'd be like, hey, I, I want to record this for a podcast. And that, that does change the d- dynamic. Uh, obviously, people react differently. And depending on how drunk they are, right? <laughs> Eventually, they get to a point where they're not even taking note of the microphone anymore. But um, I started recording these parties. And it was just really hard to get good sound. So I have, I have these old recordings somewhere in the vault, at least I think I do, of, of, you know, expats getting together for barbecues and whatnot and talking. And it's just so fucking noisy, man. And there's so, like, the, <laughs> the sound fidelity is, is horrible. I don't know, I don't remember what device I was using. I think at one point I was using a Zoom H4n, but even a Zoom H4n, you know, you can open it up so that there's like a larger diameter of, <clears throat> to like to pick up the sound. But uh, it was just too much noise. And you get, you got one guy who's, you know, way off in the corner of the room, another guy who's right next to you. It's um, really hard to normalize the audio levels, for example. It's not like every individual person is mic, which of course is what you want to do. So I was just kind of exploring the idea of, of recording expats getting together and talking. And I was going to call the podcast Gaijin Banzai. Like that was the original concept. But it just seemed too out there, even for me. Like, I'm pretty out there, but I thought, that's, that's too much. And I don't want to just focus on gaijin. Like, I'm really interested in the experiences of Japanese people as well. And I'd love to have Japanese people on the podcast, which I do occasionally. Um, so, yeah, I eventually opened it up a little bit. But, yeah, that was how it started off originally. And I like it because like, I, I feel like, I don't know about you, but I still feel like I'm, I'm only about to be a year in. And I feel like I'm still finding myself, you know, in the show and everything that's here. And part of what I love doing is researching uh, different places in Japan. 
and giving somebody an itinerary for cities that they wouldn't normally get to because I want someone else to get deep in Japan or other places that aren't just Tokyo, you know, Osaka and Kyoto. Uh, and yeah. But from that, I've been able to interview a lot of different people that I didn't think I would have been at the beginning. And I can only imagine, you know, what that's going to end up being, you know, later on. And I got to say, I, I said, if you anyone who's listening now, if you are a carryover from uh, deep in Japan, if you know anyone in, you know, who has uh, speaks English that runs their own like, you know, business, be it I've had a couple of different people that run uh, you know, their own hotel, uh, their own uh, bike rental company, you know, run their own tours and things like that, please reach out to the show and I will gladly give them some free press because what I'm trying to do, Jeff, is I want as many people to stay in business as popular, you know, as possible because selfishly, I want them to be there when my son and I and I, you know, continue to visit again and again and again. So that's that sounds great. Sounds great. And if you were, I know, like we talked a little bit before, if you were going to talk about some of your favorite episodes that you've done, that could be some happier hour, uh, you know, happy hour. That could be uh, anyone that you've interviewed. Is there anything that uh, comes to mind more than others uh, without making you know anyone feel too bad uh, being left out? Yeah. Oh, God. Favorite, favorite episodes. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know, one that I, a, a trio actually that I really like, and I, I go back to, and I listen to occasionally is the interviews that I did with Baye McNeil. Uh, there's three, if you go back and, and you listen to those, um, I was like really into radio lab. <clears throat> I still am, but I was thinking, gosh, it would be great if I could produce a show like radio lab. I can't, uh, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a studio uh, coming out of New York with, you know, sound engineers and that's just not going to happen. But, um, and a team of people, obviously I don't have a team of people, but I was like trying to, to do something similar to that. So you can see me experimenting with, with a style of podcast editing that I, I, don't, I don't really do now. Um, the microphone doesn't sound great. You know, my sound quality is not, not superb in that, but I thought like the editing was kind of original and unique and I did enjoy the interview with Bayan McNeil. So I think that's probably up there for sure. I mean, they're all, a lot of them are, are in my opinion, gems. Some of the happy hours are just absolutely absurd. Like, um, I don't know if I, some of them I can't even talk about, uh, on a, <laughs> a family friendly show, but you know, we, we take deep dives into weird movies, you know, that, for example, that was a, that was a weird one. Um, what was it? Beauty's exotic dance torture. I mean, it's just, like, <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, just random stuff that we happen to bump into crawling through the internet, like, you know, like you, I like to do, I like to learn new things. So research is definitely one of the components of the show that keeps me coming back because Trevor and I are constantly discovering new things about Japan and about ourselves as we conduct this experiment called podcasting. So it's, it's fun in that respect. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe that was uh, one that stands out in my head for sure. I mean, and you have the contacts, let me tell you. I mean, if anybody, you know, if it was, it's impossible to get a PlayStation 5 anywhere. But you, my friend, you were able to get it accomplished <laughs> and done. I mean, we don't need to speak about how it happened, but it happened. I mean, 
you know that that's all that matters back alleys handshakes with yakuza (laughs) hey you gotta get her done you know gotta get it done new tvs (laughs) uh you know new refrigerators i I, I mean you know anybody that can get the most from uh, a small allowance uh that's you it's you know something to aspire to you have the wonderful wife uh you're living in japan uh living the dream my friend living the dream (laughs) i i feel sorry for my wife because you know the average Japanese salary man, as I'm constantly reminded, gets an allowance of like maybe 1,000 yen a week, which is what, like less than 10 bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, honey, how's, how is that even possible? And she's like, how did they make it work? You know, the, uh, <laughs> 100 yen ramen or whatever, you know what I mean? So I'm pretty spoiled um, when it comes to, you know, men in Japan who are on the allowance system. Um, okozukai as it's called in Japanese yeah so not only do I get like okozukai but um, I'm getting loans for example <laughs> like I've, <laughs> I've got a new the Apple Studio uh, computer which I'm quite happy with with the M1 chip yeah, they're coming out with, with M2 apparently so I might have to hit up the missus for that but <laughs> she keeps like- me outfitted quite well <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a, it, it, hey, if you've got it, you've got it. You know, it's uh, your relationship. I, I mean, you know, she loves you. I mean, if there's anything else that's, that's never in doubt, definitely tell she loves you. And uh, your co-host, Trevor, uh, you know, a friend that you've had for quite some time. Uh, you know, at some point in time, maybe he'll be on with us. Uh, what? I doubt like it. To- uh, he's... <laughs> He's getting demoted. We're slowly phasing Trevor out. Trevor, I'm joking. Don't have a conniption <laughs> fit, bud. You're still safe. That's right. No, but I mean, it would be great if, if we could get Trevor on. That would be wonderful. Nothing I, would please me more. He's I, a hard I, man to connect with other people. You know, getting him out of his basement, talking with other people, non-weeaboo people, is very difficult. So, And his, his recent uh, job promotions and making more money and, and working and all these different things, I mean... You know, he's going to be big man on campus. I need to get a hold of him now before his business card is one that, you know, I just can't. I'm not worthy of getting, you know, that's I don't want to get there. I don't want to get there. So but the relationship you two have, I can tell, uh, you know, when you start going on to Sora News and uh, reading off different things together or talking about gaming, your, you know, your PlayStation thing together. Um, you know, all that different time is just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And, uh, makes me laugh every like, single time you, you, you get rambling with that. Uh, what are some of your goals, uh, for deep in Japan besides always in trying to increase your audio setup, which is just, you know, something I look to aspire to maybe in, you know, five, six years to what you have currently, but what are your goals for your show? Yeah, well, you know that I don't put too much effort into preparation and execution, which you have like in spades, my friend, like you are amazing at preparing and executing your podcast. So I think for me, like working on that, like the back end prep is, is huge. Um, I also made a promise to myself last year that I was going to try and do one podcast a week. And I think I hit that. Um, I haven't actually done the math, but I think more or less, I pretty much nailed that last year. This year, it looks like I'm kind of slipping back into like a one episode every two weeks kind of uh, cadence, which I don't really want. Like I would prefer to have one every week. So I definitely one of my goals is to try and keep that once a week cadence. 
But, um, you know, life is, life is hard, man. I, I have a full-time job. I'm a father of three. There's a lot of grass that needs to be cut out here in the countryside. So it's, it's hard to, to do a podcast. You know, I, I, sometimes I find myself just putting off like the editing of an episode for like a week. I'll just set it aside. And like, I can't even bring my head to that space where like, okay, I got to edit this. How many hours is it going to take? You know? Um, so yeah, I think just, you know, being, or rather putting a little bit more effort into sort of the due diligence aspects of podcasting, which is keeping that cadence tight, you know, once a week. And then also when I can putting more effort on the, uh, the front end preparation, I think is, is critical. You know, a lot of times I won't even do a simple Google search before talking about a topic, which is just absurd to like some of my listeners. They're like, dude, all you had to do was like Google the question and you could have had the answer. Like, why are you talking about this? I'm like, well, because it's very extemporaneous. We're just two dudes having a conversation. Like you might imagine two people having a conversation at a bar over a beer or at a coffee shop over just sitting at a table, just talking about shit. You know, we're not, we're not researchers. I'm not, I don't have a PhD. You know, I'm not, I, I'm not speaking from a place of expertise. I'm just trying to learn about the world and have fun. I want it to be fun and enjoyable. It's definitely an entertainment based enterprise. Like I want people to giggle and laugh when they listen. So if you've listened to a podcast and you giggled a few times, I've done my job. Like really, that's all I want to do. Even as a human being, like I just try, I'm like a stupid, one of those stupid dads that's just trying to get their kids to giggle, you know, dad with a dad joke, for example. So that's definitely been my approach to podcasting is I'm not trying to impart deep wisdom. You know, I'm not trying to unearth something that's never been unearthed before. I'm just having fun and I'm trying to share that fun with other people. So if, if as a listener, you listen and you're like, oh, he used a word that I don't like, good, don't listen to it. You know, it's not for you. If, if it's not entertaining, then it's not for you. I, I, that is the purpose of my podcast is to entertain. Your podcast, I would say, is more like, informative like you're definitely putting in the research you're sharing information you're sharing knowledge you're fact checking you know you're cross-referencing you're producing documents that you share with people it's wonderful but wow that is a lot of work my friend and it, i have to wonder is it sustainable you might be able to do it you you're a marvelous man i don't know if i could so i'm just out here just trying to get a laugh to be i'm a comedian what yeah, I it's, it's really Not even like a good one yeah <laughs> I'd beg to differ on that one, but <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just dad joke, you know, appreciation from my side, but you know, it's, it's about two weeks of, you know, a lot of effort to get one episode out like that prep work on my end of things. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. uh you know, that's where I'm like, I can do biweekly <laughs> right now. I'm doing the, trying to get myself out a ways because the school year starts back up for me. And when that happens, I know it's going to be really hard for me to just get home and go to sleep, especially after working a part-time job again um, at night. You got two jobs, right? You, you're not only a teacher, but you have another job on the side. Crazy. And you're a father of two. You're a single dad, yep. father of two, right? Yes. 20 and Man. 14, uh, you know, they're they're practically out of the house. I mean, <laughs> but... I, I, Congratulations. It's, it, it's great, though, like uh, the relationships and things that are there that you're having. I know that you're going to have with your kids as well. And my daughter and I are set uh, to go to a uh, to Gen Con in Indianapolis, which is like the board gaming 
capital of the world once a year. Wow. 70,000 people attend. It fills in the in Indianapolis Colt football stadium. It fills oh, the, my goodness. their convention center and hotels surrounding it. That's just how big it is. I can't even wrap my, you know, my, my, my things are like my, my head around it, but my daughter wants to spend yeah. time with her dad. I, I'm just like, I'm so blissfully happy that at 14, She's like, yeah, dad, let's go play Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, go around a big board gaming convention. I must have done something right, my friend. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, that speaks to you and, and your skill as a father, because at least where I come from in my neck of the woods out here in Japan, a lot of fathers of like 14, 15 year old girls, what they hear when when their daughters talk to them is, uh, I don't want to breathe the same air as you. I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> you're doing it right, my friend. Well, what's your next, I got, I got to ask for myself, what's your next audio, you know, addition to the show? Do you have something in mind that you're looking to, to add? Are you finally, I, I don't think you could ever be at a restful state when it comes to this. Right. So I don't know if, if you know this, um, but the Rode Roadcaster Pro 2 has been released. I am not, was not aware. Okay. So I use a I use a piece of kit right now called the Tascam Mixcast 4. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, I complain about everything I buy. So you probably heard an episode where I complain about it. But it's a really cool piece of tech. However, <laughs> the new Rode <laughs> uh, Podcaster Pro, or Rodecaster Pro, as it were, too, is just uh, phenomenal. So I think my eyes are on that. I don't know if I'll get it. I, I, it really hinges on me being able to sell my task cam, which is brand new. I don't know. I think it's going to be hard, though. I don't know. Like, what Rode released is so powerful. I don't know that any other sort of podcasting platform, I don't know what you'd call this thing. It's like a solution, really. It's like a tech, it's like, <laughs> it's a piece of kit, but it's, it's like the kit. full solution for podcasting. I don't, I don't think there's anything out there that competes with the Rode. So, it might be hard to sell the Tascam because of that. Up until like three months ago, Tascam was like the best thing out there. If you want like one piece of, of kit, it's going to, you know, support up to four mark mics and, um, you know, do all the jingles and stuff like that. You can call out on your phone. It's great. But they just blew it out of the water. Rode just completely upstaged everyone. So that's definitely a piece of kit that I would love to have. But I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do it because it's probably I don't know I would I would guess that it's around a thousand dollars, you know. Because I've been looking all said and done. <laughs> I've been looking at the Rode Roadcaster Pro, just you know, single six hundred dollar you know version. But that's gonna have to be after Japan. That's one of those things. Like after I do my trip with my son, if I have money left, usually that money yeah, goes yeah. into the next vacation. But I really think at that point in time, it's gonna roll into that because. I'd love the ability to not use Riverside. Um, Riverside is a mm -hmm. wonderful platform. Um, what I'd like not to have to do is spend money on a service. This is a fabulous service. You're gonna, if you're going to pay money for a service, this is a great one to do it for. But if sure. I could just have you call in and run that through that uh, and not have to worry about anything else and have it record there and on my computer and all that wonderful stuff, and I, I would happily pay six hundred to not have to pay a yearly <laughs> subscription fee for sure. Well, you can, you can do that, but the sound quality I think would not be quite as good, right? And then you're you're also dependent on the internet connection, 
So yes. if, all, if all that audio is coming through the USB-C and you're recording it on your end, if there's any interruptions to the Wi-Fi on their end or your end, um, obviously that's going to impact the, the recording. So where these things shine would be recording locally. Like let's say that someone came over to your house or you meet someone at a cafe or wherever, you know, you can carry it basically in a handbag, a duffel bag, and you can go and you can record anywhere. Yeah. So that is the benefit of the Tascam and the, uh, the Rodecaster Pro too, for sure. Um, but yeah, but if you need to, I mean, it doesn't sound horrible really to like to do a call out as well. You can have people call into the show and it, it, that's actually not bad at all. So um, yeah, it does a lot of things. And um, I, don't, I don't know if it would obviate uh, Riverside for you, but you might be able to get away with ending your subscription. I ended I, mine. For what I, it's I, I, you know, it's like one of those things I could say that it will and have it not, but still buy something that I want to buy anyways. <laughs> it's like, yeah. nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you'll, probably, <laughs> you'll do both. You'll keep That's both. right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Jeff, for you, I kind of want to get into your um, Japan origin story a little bit. We've kind of already got into that a bit, um, you know, with with the language being something, and I still find it funny. They're like, no, don't worry about it. Japan, Japanese is so easy. Just go there. Um, <laughs> and I know that you said it's going to be, tw- it's been 20 something years of you being there. Uh, thinking back, uh, what were some of the things that excited you the most uh, when you were visiting Japan for that first time? Yes, yeah, so I came here as this student in 2000 and just the idea of flying on an airplane for me was exciting like i hadn't been anywhere nowhere so i mean i think i flew to hawaii once when i was 19 yeah that's about it so like that was my first experience with a plane but i'm very afraid of heights and airplanes to this to this day like they still freak me out i'll do it but i'm just and you know now that i'm like i don't know maybe in my 40s i'm a little bit numb to most things so it's i'm not going to actually feel fear on an airplane but i don't like it i don't like fly i don't like being up in this steel cage in the sky so that was exciting for me and then of course getting to japan everything was was like a buzzing blooming confusion like the sights the smells the sounds like it was it was it was too much for me at first i was like oh my gosh this is sensory overload so I mean, it still is. I'll go into Tokyo to this day and I'm like, Jesus, it's crazy in Tokyo compared to where I live now. Yes, not gonna. yes. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm still very excited about, about everything, but um, I think what gives me the most excitement is getting out and traveling with my family. And once this pandemic is finished, I've got a few places I'm hoping to go to, but none of them are, are particularly mainstream. They'd be kind of off the beaten track, I think. I think if you can, my friend, uh, go look at Dream Drive Camper Van. I think that might be a future purchase of yours as well. Um, you already have an we amazing. We talk about it all the time. It's it really it's, it's it's my dream. It really is. Like, but I like I could totally see you uh, keeping your amazing car that you currently have, but then just you know working on another loan uh, <laughs> for camping <laughs> and things for the family. You guys go off and do your stuff, and then you know come back. So you That's... can rent them. You can rent them. So we've been looking into this as like renting a camping car, as they're called here, and just doing like a week or a two week vacation. Another thing that we looked into was they've got really nice rooftop tents for cars these days. Okay. Like you can, you just, it just like folds out and it's like some, some of them are big enough for like four people. So we were actually thinking about, I mean, they're like in Japan, it's expensive because you got to import this. They don't, none of them are produced locally. So it'd be like, 
something from Yakima in the United States or something like that. And they'd have to mail it internationally. All said, it's about $2,000 probably to get that thing on your car. And who knows how much it would cost to get somebody to like mount it up there. But we were looking into something like that as well. But I thought it's just, it's too much. It's too, there's too many unknowns and it's too expensive. So I think I would rather just rent a camping car and, and go do a trip. So that's an idea we've been toying with for quite a while now. Um, not to do any vlogging or anything like that. Like it was, we did kick the idea around really just for ourselves, just to get out there and <clears throat> to explore Japan and have fun. I like it. I like it. And uh, with all of that, I mean, it could just be like, bring you a puppy, bring you a, uh, you know, tent for the top of your, you know, your car. Just after my trip with my son, that following trip, whatever you need me to bring, I'll just carry along with me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't (laughs) think you could carry on a tent for the car. They're huge. Just Um, be like, check it. I don't know. Something's got (laughs) to, sir, what are you going to be doing with this? Don't you worry. And I did look into the puppy idea. I'm like, well, you know, some of some people who are thinking about visiting Japan, I'm like, could you bring a dog? But no, uh, that's not a possibility either. So I wish it was. <laughs> so your, your, your daughter's son would, you know, same thing, same thing. They, they'd be right behind you with yeah. that. Uh, when you, um, for your time in Japan, I think we have a lot in common uh, as far as just in general, uh, Tokyo being one of them. <laughs> like I'm overwhelmed every single time I go. Uh, childhood stories, uh, you know, things that you like to do and get away from th- that is just my middle name. Anything I can do to get away from the hustle and bustle is really uh, for me as well. But from your time in Japan, what are some of the, your favorite locations or locations that you maybe continue to visit again and again that you could share? Because a lot of people that listen to the show um, are people that are planning their trip or live in Japan and are planning trips uh themselves so what do you have for us i really enjoyed i mean everybody everybody says this but like going down to kyoto and seeing the temples in in kyoto you know um peace park peace museum in hiroshima were were absolutely wonderful uh going out onto the island uh what's it called it's kushima the island with uh, isn't that, it's off of hiroshima it's very beautiful it's got the tori gate like in the in the water there water yep 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 absolutely ridiculously gorgeous i mean those are i mean they're they're famous for a reason i mean I, if you were coming to japan definitely don't miss any of those spots but um for me it's a lot of my favorite places are just out here in in, in nagano prefecture just going to local onsen like up in the mountains like we go to this place called jipikunoyu some some people call it jipikunoyu it's got two pronunciations i guess even by the locals but anyway Jupukunoyu is a, is an onsen that I like to go to. Just this massive place out in the forest. They've got a huge rotenburo. Like for me, that's it. Like I just I would love to go there every weekend if I could. But um, you know, the pandemic being what it is, uh, there are some some onsen at the top of the mountains over here. But I love climbing mountains in Nagano Prefecture. I used to climb Tateshina Mountain, you know, twenty to thirty times a year. I'm thinking about. I'm getting older, but I'm thinking about doing another trip here soon. So maybe I'll grab a kid or two. I don't know how strong my younger kid's legs are, but definitely Sakura, my eldest, has some really strong legs. So we'll probably get up Mount Tateshina here soon. And that's, you know, that's a great spot for me. That's also another place that I I absolutely love to go to. 
Uh, it would be pretty hard for somebody visiting Japan to get out into the countryside and climb a mountain. But if you can, if you have the means, if you have the time, do it. I mean, even in Tokyo, actually, on the outskirts of Tokyo, there are, they call them mountains. I don't know if people in Nagano would, but, you know, they're mountains. They're, they're just smaller, you know, 1,000, 2,000 meters up. Go climb one of those. You can get a view of, like, the coast, the city that you just wouldn't see anywhere else and in different pictures from the kind that you would get if you're exploring the city. So I definitely recommend getting out in nature, wherever that might be. I, I like it. And uh, I, my trip with my son that was supposed to be this summer that's next is going to be that, hey, you, you have to show him Tokyo. I think that's going to honestly be his favorite place in the world. Uh, unlike dad, he loves New York uh, City. Uh, mm. He loves Chicago. I love Chicago for baseball um, and concerts, but he loves big cities. So I know we'll hit Osaka, Kyoto and tokyo but luckily he's a big baseball fan too so we're going to be hitting some parks that i've not been to yet and my friends in uh hiroshima uh that have their restaurant good time they're just waiting with open arms ready since he's 20 and going to be Punch 21 when we go yeah 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 we'll go there and and then have a beer afterwards I, I, what else can you have afterwards and- why not have a beer at the park that's what everybody else is doing <laughs> Well, you know, I can't say no. That was one thing that I did find out is when they would come by with the beer keg on their back and say, like, hey, would you like one? The hotties with the beer kegs on their back? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, please stop coming by. My liver can't handle this. So So I'm pretty sure my son will definitely do that. But my I have a couple friends that run restaurants out there and their cheers that they have for us when we're there. I can't wait to hear my son do on his own. Um, we'll just throw, go ahead and throw the explicit tag on this at the beginning, Jeff. I'll go ahead and say, oh, you no. know, have, you know I, like, have I done it again? Did no, I, no, no, did no. I... Well, we'll just say we'll say, we'll just say at the beginning, I'll just come on and be like, hey, today's episode is definitely one with an explicit tag. Please, <laughs> you know, uh, you may maybe one you want to skip or listen to, depending on. But, you know, come into it was here. So don't Are worry. Are you cracking the seal? Does that mean I can just pop off now? Because yeah, if so, 100%. this could just definitely change the flavor of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> seals god for this one my friend we'll just you know say hey <laughs> we'll just it, it is gonna be the title happier hour uh with deep in you know jeff at deep in japan so we'll Ooh, i like slow. that the happier yeah, hour yeah. it's a comparison uh you know that that's gonna twist <laughs> some nipples if you if you get my <laughs> i like be, that it's, it's gonna be a good am time. i allowed to publish this on deep in japan by the way are we co-publishing or is this just all you i don't really care either way i'm uh, just curious can, to know how we, this all plays we can out co- we could co-publish my friend i said that that'd be an honor right, on my end if they twist so. the nipple <laughs> happier <laughs> hour it's been <laughs> named <laughs> But yeah, when we're when we're in Hiroshima, as uh, people, you know, friends try to do, you try to embarrass each other, right? And I love the fact that Japanese at times try to embarrass you when you're there, just to seeing if they can, you know, rile you up a little bit. But they quickly found out that I'm like, I'm just going to run with it and own it. And our cheers for for while we're there was chin chin. And so that's their like, they're, they're like, uh, oh yeah, you know, our, our cheers is, you know, chin chin. I'm like, you guys are just messing with me, but I'm going to own this by the end of the night, Jeff, everybody in the group, every time we went for cheers, even people that weren't a part of the drinking group were all just <laughs> yelling out chin chin. So I can't wait for my son to just own that tradition as well when we go there. So it's, it's good times. Oh man, that's wild. Yeah, I envy you. That's something I would like to experience as well. I would like to see a Hanshin Tigers game down there, you know, um, 
it's not in Osaka proper, right? It's like it's on the not. outskirts. It is. It yeah. is. And it's it's a bit of a like a, a trip from there, but totally worth it. The park's comfortable. When I went last, yeah, yeah. the most expensive tickets in the park were like $45 behind home plate. I, I mean, ridiculously for inexpensive because in, in Chicago, like our cheapest tickets on the, to the cheapest games are like $55 before the fees they tack on. And it ends up being like $100 a person to go to a game. So going there and being able to have fabulous seats for 20 bucks, and then to be around the quote unquote most wild fans in Japan. Uh, when they let off their balloons and, you know, it goes whizzing all about. And you hear how in to the game people are with their cheers on both sides. And yeah. the, nobody's on their, their phone. I love Wrigley Field. I love the Cubs. They are my favorite team. But you go to the game there and people are like on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Just whatever the kids are. What are they doing? <laughs> like, or whatever. They, I'm like, if you're paying this much to be at the game. <laughs> Please watch the game. <laughs> it's like so. Uh, but Throw a wrench. Get off your phone. Throw a wrench. <laughs> that's right. Come on, people. Come on. Now, I, I know. Uh, we talked about some locations you like to visit. Was it meeting your wife was like that and getting married that when you're like, I'm really going to make Japan my home? Or was it something before that that led you to like, this is my home now? Right. So. That's a great question. I actually didn't internally uh, come to the idea that this is my home, my forever home. Oh, one, uh, one second, my friend. To... One second, my friend. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, we're going to pause right there because right when I asked the question, we actually had our first uh, hiccup of the show. So we can act like I just asked, you know, making you the home and have you go from there. Oh. Can I can I go to the bathroom? Is well, this please, a great let's moment pause. to yep. relieve myself? I'm going to okay. go get another drink of water and do the exact same thing. So let's uh, meet back okay. here.
So yeah, we're back. Um, the question you asked is when did I realize Japan was my forever home? Yes. And I didn't, uh, you know, when I met my wife and, and we, we got engaged and we got married, even then it really hadn't dawned on me because, you know, she had lived in Oregon for a year as a high school student and she likes to travel. So we had talked about, you know, potentially ending up in, in back in Oregon or, or somewhere else, maybe Hawaii or something like that. But it sort of, I think it dawned on both of us that we're locked to the land. Uh, because this house has been, and, and this this land has been in the family for hundreds of years. Her uh, her grandmother, who, who, by the way, is currently in hospice, and, and I was wondering if we might have to postpone this show. She's 99 years old. A lovely woman. Uh, I was talking to her about the family history. I'm like, how long, how long has the Nagasaka family been on this, this land? And she said four or 500 years. Wow. Wow. You know, which is older than the United States. Yes. And it goes back prior to the time when, you know, Japanese people, non-royalty or whatever could have land. It, it wasn't, you didn't own land. So, um, they've been farming this land out here since time immemorial and there is this idea that uh, of continuity that you will continue and carry forth the the property the house from generation to generation and it's called atotori when you take over and you you succeed um after your your father your father-in-law your mother-in-law whatever it is so uh this kind of responsibility i think kind of hit us gradually it was it was, it was the slow realization that okay we have to take care of this and i it's really hard man we've got a lot of land and i'm not gonna lie to you it was, we spent a lot of time out there cutting grass we used to grow rice but my father-in-law got ill and so he we outsourced it to a local uh, farming cooperative so thankfully we don't do that now because it's a lot of work but we still own the fields and we still have to cut the grass around those fields and manage the fields. And some of them are uh, just sort of, I mean, we even had like a wheat field that's just a tangled mess right now, but I had to go out there and clear about, oh, I don't know how many, maybe about an acre worth of grass leading up to Obone because it really has to be all like tidy before everybody can go up on the, we call it the mountain. It's really just a hill, but that's where the burial site is for not only our family, but a whole bunch of different families in this area of Kirihara. So you, you got to get out there, cut the grass, wash, wash down all the, the tombstones, um, and get everything tidy for when the ancestors come back. And it's just, it's hard work, man. Like you're, I mean, you've been in Japan in the summertime. It's hot as fuck. Yes. It is yes. so fucking hot, man. And I'm glad that I can say it that way. Now that we've, we've, Broken the seal. seal. Because <laughs> in more than one way, really Jeff, is. in more than one way. <laughs> there's I mean, there's no other way to say it. It is hot as fuck in Japan. And you're out there covered head to toe with, with gear. You're carrying it's called a beaver. It's a it's the weed whacker. And you're just cutting grass for hours at a time. And so I, my father-in-law, I went to him and I was like, you know, we could sell some of this land. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> You don't need to have quite this much, right? Like, what do you think about that? Or, or is it imperative that we hand this off to Asahi when he comes of age, all of it intact? And he's like, yes, 
<laughs> that was the end of the discussion. Yes. I'm like, yes. okay. It's not my decision. Um, I am just the Geboku, as we say. I'm just the the manservant of this of this house, of this estate. And I'm trying to keep it intact for the next generation. I'm definitely the weakest link because I, I came in knowing nothing, still know very little, but I'm just trying to, to learn how this place is managed and carry it forth to the next generation. So I know my role. And, and that being the case, it's, it's slowly kind of dawned on me that we have this obligation, this responsibility to take care of the farm, take care of the house, take care of the land and pass it on. I, I like that. And one other thing for those of us that are still searching for our significant other, because I, I do feel like potentially mine is just on the opposite end of the world. Uh, you know, like we're meant to meet when I'm, you know, in, in my 50s and retire uh, out there myself to, to, you know, find something to do. Maybe I'll be a roving tour guide of sorts, you know, <laughs> through Japan during that time. But how did you, if you don't mind sharing, you and your wife uh, meet? Yeah. Um... I was teaching a, an English class to adults in the community after hours, like in the evening. So it sounds kind of sketchy. You know, she was my student. I, I <laughs> laid the, what do the kids say? The Mizak Dizown? No, they probably said that in the 90s. That's irrelevant now. Um, no, I, I didn't even lay the Mizak Dizown. I was, she was cute. She was in the class. And she approached me after the class, well, one of the classes anyway, and she's like, hey, I lived in Oregon for a while. And I was like, Shut up. Really? You live in Oregon? Like, let's, let's talk about this. And so we scheduled we scheduled what could only be called a, a date, I guess. I didn't, I mean, in retro, retrospect, I kind of see it that way. But I just thought, hey, we'll get together. We'll have some beers and we'll talk about Oregon. And I mean, I used to go out and have yakitori all the time. So I didn't see it as anything different than what I normally do on a Friday or Saturday night. It happened to be with a, a female, which was odd but okay you know same thing so she shows up with like photo albums and like you know memorabilia and it was like and, and it it almost felt like an interview of sorts like she's or a presentation i was like wow you're you're really prepared you know this is interesting like walking me through the whole experience that she had in in oregon and i thought of uh, you know this is fascinating and her her beauty and her charm and her sincerity. She's very sincere and and um, very modest in a way that I felt was charming. And um, I I I don't think I immediately had it wasn't love at first sight, but I was definitely curious and started thinking. But she didn't she didn't dress up to like come to the English classes. She would like throw on a t shirt and just like tie her hair back. So she wasn't like a spectacle to behold in class. But after that first meeting, I wanted to just learn more about her because I was curious about her as, as a person. And so we scheduled another quote unquote date, as it were. And dude, she showed up dressed to the nines. To that, the to that next one. <laughs> you passed the test. And then it was love at first sight. Then I was like, <laughs> holy shit, I've never seen a more beautiful woman in my life. What did you do? What, what, what is this product that you're, I want some, not that I use product, but I'm like, what? What accounts for this transformation? When my wife does herself up, she looks amazing. She looks amazing even when she doesn't. But, you know, you obviously they don't go through all the trouble for no reason, right? I mean, they know how to get themselves looking good. And she really did. And then we were off to the races and um, the rest is history. But um, it was that initial sort of that English class and learning that she had lived in Oregon as a, as a, as a sister city exchange student 
I came over to Tateshina through the sister city as well, not as a student, but as a, as a teacher. So, and it would have been like, gosh, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, um, that that happened. So she was in the town next to my town when I was a high school student, unbeknownst to me, she was an exchange student, the next town over. And she did a year in Oregon and that kind of, um, shared experience and the fact that we both kind of were launched into each other's culture through the sister city program gave us a common language to sort of connect with. And, and that was that connection that blossomed into our relationship. Talk about things that were meant to be. That's, that's amazing. Amazing. My friend, I, I love it, love it, love it. And I know you're talking about camping and other things you have to kind of, you know, get off to some less visited places. Do you have a top place or places that's like, this is what I'd like to visit next? For camping or, or just anything? Anything, my friend, anything. Wh whatever you see the answer for this test, um, it's correct. So <laughs> don't worry. Whatever direction you want to take it in is fine. Yeah, sure. So um, this, is, this is just my weird little I, perverted interest, I suppose. But we were talking about camping cars earlier and I said that you can rent them. And I said that my wife and I were kicking around the idea of doing that, which is something that she would love to do. I don't know if she agrees with the, the destination that I'm targeting, but like, I've always wanted to uh, visit the museum dedicated to Koizumi Yakumo, which I think is down in Totori prefecture. And uh, Koizumi Yak Yakumo is the, the Japanese name for Lafcardio Hearn, the the author who lived in Japan, like what, a hundred, gosh, it would have been 120 years ago, 130 years ago, who wrote all those books about Japan, like Kokoro for, and wait, 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 not to me, so sick he wrote Kokoro, but didn't, didn't he have a book about Kokoro as well? The Heart of Japan or something like that. Tons of books about Japan, Kwaidan, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I want to, I want to visit that museum and learn more about him and just kind of explore his roots a little bit. I think that would be fun. Again, it's completely off the beaten track. I don't even think it's a massive museum. I don't think it gets a lot of pull, to be honest with you. And that's interesting in and of itself as well. So, well, one of the things uh, actually was somewhat relatively out in your area back in when I was with Japan Fulbright Memorial Fund, but that was pre the internet actually existing uh, to what it exists today. And I had to use paper maps wherever I went and I couldn't find one for Komaki uh, when I ended up there in Aichi. So, I was there for a while, and one of my episodes coming up is going to actually be on uh, Komaki and Gifu and, you know, some other places there. But the mall that I was at uh, back, you know, when I went with Fulbright is still there. Uh, the only thing that's missing is the crepe place that I would stop at and the massage chairs that were at the top of the mall because I'd ride the escalator all the way up. And being the, being the uh, know-nothing foreigner at that point in time, um, I would actually take that crepe from downstairs go upstairs with it and then sit in the massage chair and have that crepe. That was like every day that we were there, every uh, way to end it. And it was fabulous, but it is a, a place just because I visited there that uh, probably when I come out to visit you, I'm going to have to tack that on as well uh, just to, you know, go visit those places that I've been uh, as well. And I see like camping and things. You have any other activities that you're looking to do beyond that camping, my friend in Japan? 
Well, I like taking my kids to rivers just to get wet. So especially in the summertime. So that's definitely on the agenda. But it just it just came to my mind, though, that another beautiful spot that I think I can highly recommend to people is Shirakawago, which is the um, you've got those traditional A-frame houses with the thatched roofs. And it's like um, it's just in a in a valley. Um, and you can imagine it covered in snow and just, you know, it's the old rustic sort of traditional style of, of building homes in Japan, and it still exists to this day. Um, I want to say that that's Gifu Prefecture as well. It's pretty close to where I am out here in Nagano, but I've been there a couple times and can also highly recommend that. And, you know, in, in being in Nagano, I can also recommend the Snow Monkeys over in, yes. what is it, Jigokudani, um, yes. Hell's Canyon, right? This is the direct, direct translation of that. Uh, definitely go check that out. That's always fun. Although it may be too popular now. I'm not sure. Well, the pandemic is here. Maybe there's not so many people, but I feel like the last time that I went there, there were just a lot of people. So maybe not quite, uh, off the beaten path anymore. Hey, and that, that's it because it's like a lot of listeners are going to have uh, different things they're into just like happy hour or not. Uh, you know, try to share as many different things as we can. And I, I'm sure, uh, that's going to be something for somebody. So for oh, you, yeah, definitely, you have so many interviews, I'm so jealous of them, um, you know, with different people, different authors, what are some of your favorite books about Japan? Because my audience maybe has not listened to you yet and listened to all the amazing interviews you have. If you're going to be like, Hey, what, uh, would you recommend these books or other ones you have? I know you've got bookcases uh, for years, I'm sure. Uh, but what, mm. what would be some of those recommendations for someone? Yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast uh, have written books. So, for example, Jake Adelstein's Tokyo Vice. Um, what else? I'm sorry. I'm looking at my to bookshelf. As to we, as Tokyo we talk. Junkie was one of my favorites as well. By like Robert one of your Whiting, I was yeah. going to, yeah, Tokyo Junkie was, was ridiculously good. Um, I really liked uh, My Japan by, by uh, Roger Pulvers. That was really good. Gosh, what else? Um, I feel like I should have prepared better for this, uh, for this interview because there's, there's just so many. But if you're looking for, for sort of um, journals or magazines, you know, there's there's the Monkey Literary Magazine, which is absolutely great if, if you can get that. Um, Damien Flanagan's biography of Yukio Mishima was ridiculously good. Eating Wild Japan with, with Winif Winifred Bird. I mean, that book is absolutely a, a great read. Oh, gosh, what else? I really like... I haven't done anything on the podcast I, i've wanted to read a chapter from it but japan at war the oral history is just ridiculously good so if you're a history buff check it check that out there was the um the crime book what was the i'm blinking on the title was it uh i know what you're talking oh, about let me see yeah. if I can pull that up <laughs> that was really good and just so you know um i don't have a patreon jeff uh but let's say if someone was like hey I need a Patreon to join. Join Jeff's. Join us in the conversations that we have there as well, because we're constantly <laughs> uh, recommending things uh, to each other as well. Um, always a good time. But I got to say, my Audible is filled with uh, a lot of the recommendations that you had. And 
if they could help by actually pulling mine up as well <laughs> to, to scroll through the different books that I've had. Um, you know, that's probably something. Look how, you know, you give me all those accolades for prepping and then, you know, not so much, Jeff. Not so much. Oh, hey, does. Tokyo, again, Robert Whiting's Tokyo Underworld was ridiculously that good. Was so fantastic. not just his, his new book, right? Um, there's so I, maybe many. Maybe pizza. Absolutely... You know, there's so, like, oh, dude, no, no, no. <laughs> the my one favorite. Like, you know what I start, need? Sorry to cut you pizza off. Pizza in my life. That's really. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do need more pizza in our lives. But let, let me give you probably my favorite book ever. And okay. It's absolutely grisly and, and, and horrible but people who eat darkness by richard lloyd perry man what a book ridiculous it's gonna yeah, i read that's, it that's that's what i'm like i i need to add to my audible i've heard you recommend that a bunch of times kind of like my dream drive camper vine that i keep on you know <laughs> bringing back up again and again so love it love it very good his book on the tsunami was also great. Ghosts of the Tsunami was absolutely wonderful, but I recommend starting off with People Who Eat Darkness for sure. For you, Jeff, I, you've been there uh, for a long time. Do you have any do-overs that you would peg for your life? You could go back and say, hey, I wish I'd done this differently for your time in Japan. I have things that as a father i wish i could do over like i really yes. gave my kids overexposure to videos english videos because i wanted to create an english environment so that they could see people talking to each other in english and pick up the language that way so my kids are all really good at english compared to some of the other hafu kids that we know in the area but they're not as good at at reading because they're so audio visio excuse me audiovisual in, in focus, which is fine. I mean, they're all very artistic. They love to draw. They love music. They're like, really, they love to dance, draw, and, and um, listen to music. But gosh, it would be great if they would also enjoy reading books, you know, and be a little bit more literary. So I think I regret that a little bit as a father. Um, that's really specific to people raising, you know, bilingual kids in Japan is to don't forget the page, I think. But um, in terms of, uh, you know, I think everybody has this, but in terms of like, reg like Japan itself, like regrets that I have would be study harder and never give up, never feel um, the things that people are going to feel when they study a language as difficult as Japanese, which is I'll never get good. So why do I even try? I'm not making any progress. So I'm done with this or uh, I give up fuck this, you know, like yeah. the, the, you can, you can talk yourself out of studying Japanese so many ways, but if you just keep at it, if you just keep going, you will make progress in this language. Now, will you be a Roger Pulvers? Hell no. You're Nobody's right. going to be a Roger Pulvers, but Roger Pulvers guy's a genius. You know, he, somebody whispers a few sentences into the guy's ear and he's fluent in the language. I don't get it. It's ridiculous. But, but we can make progress and we can achieve our personal best, right? We want, to, we want to reach our potential in the language. And for a lot of us, that just means whatever your method is, whatever you're doing with the language, whether it's a lot of listening, a lot of watching, a lot of studying kanji, flashcards, whatever your method is, 
And I highly recommend exploring multiple methods, but whatever your method is, keep at it and don't get discouraged because you will make progress. I think and that's where I'm at right now, Jeff, is fighting my way back to get, getting started again. It is so easy to let that slide uh, for the slightest a bit. And sometimes that excuse is one that's like, I had a teacher that You're I was a working. Busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but I, I was working with a teacher and doing, you know, my way through things and I was making some progress. And then he's like, hey, Mike, I'm moving. I'm going to have to take a month off. And I never came back from that month, Jeff, because <laughs> I was daily, you know, working on things. And instead of looking to get diamond in my camo for Vanguard, I was actually studying and doing <laughs> something with my life. Um, but, you know, hey, I, I'm working my way back that way right now. So uh, that's that's something that's something. So <laughs> so yeah, um, it is. I mean, putting the controller down and, yes. and keeping good habits is important. But for me, for me, it was motivation. For me, yeah. for me, I would sometimes I would just feel like I would look at people doing exceptionally well in the language and compare myself to them and think I'm never going to be good at this language. I'm never going to be fluent in this language. And that's what would cause me to retract and give up. So obviously building good habits. And I highly recommend the book Atomic Habits and everything that guy's doing. You can incorpor incorporate that stuff into your life and definitely make studying a habit if you can. Anyway, that's great. But not getting discouraged, I think, because Japanese is a lot of times it feels like a brick wall. And so, especially when you get over here and you start using language, you know, it's one thing to have study habits. It's another thing to feel motivated to continue to study the language when you feel like you're not making any progress. So, um, callback though, books, True Crime Japan with Paul Murphy. That was also yes. a great book. Yes, yes, yes. That was, that was indeed fabulous. I love that as well. And as president of the, uh, you know, Saitama fan club, uh, as discussed, uh, <laughs> earlier, you know, gonna have to have you on when i when i visit that fabulous city uh you know to give a day of things to do or not do uh in that city uh <laughs> there's nothing wrong with saitama nothing at all we, you know we we pump out a lot of i say we some of us on in in the uh podcasting community at deep in japan pump out a lot of hate towards saitama but there's nothing wrong with saitama great place what about uh tadashina i i know uh like you said you have your um you know climbing and things uh that you do if someone was looking to get deep in Japan uh, and we're looking to really get off the beaten path for things, what would be some recommendations that you might give for the area? Right. So, you know, my town used to have sort of a, a tourism draw. So up, up towards the lakes at the top of, of the mountain, you know, there were, there are a lot of uh, onsens and, um, a lot of pensions, they're called, which are yes. just, uh, yeah, what's, what would you, an inn, like a mountain inn where you could go. I think that's great. If you staying at like a local pension or inn is always an option, whether it be in my town or any of these surrounding countryside areas is absolutely great because usually the master this is a Japanese dude. Yep. And so you get to converse with him. He's happy to probably hang around after dinner, have a drink with you and talk to you recommend local sites that you're not going to see you know elsewhere in in the case of tateshina there's like lots of flower gardens that you can you can see you can take the gondola up towards the mountain and there's a walk up there uh in the meadow in the summer which is absolutely gorgeous but just little things like that like you know you probably wouldn't see it in a guidebook you probably wouldn't think oh i'm going to take the bullet train out to saku you know then 
what? I don't like. There's no train out to Tateshina, so catch a taxi up to a mountain inn, stay there, ride the gondola up, and and walk through the flower gardens up there. Like I don't think it would be on anybody's radar, but you can find inns, you can find pensions online these days. Even like some of my friends in Tateshina who don't speak a lick of English know that they if they got their site up in English, people will come. So if you're good at Googling, I would definitely say look into pensions throughout the countryside of Japan and and just throw throw the dart at the map and and find a pension in the area and go there and then make a friend with the person who runs it and they'll give you some suggestions that you would, probably wouldn't see in your traditional guidebooks. Yes. And it may be a friend that you have uh, for life that you return to. And I mean, you may just impress them by the number of hot dogs that you meet, that you eat uh, when you meet them. And <laughs> they just look at this shocked voice like, you want more? And I'm like, yes. And you want more? Yes. And when I messaged, you know, my friend, you know, from Hiroshima back when I got back home and I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me a couple months later. He's like, no, no, no. I know who you are. The guy hot that ate all man. the hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Hot dog man. Hot I remember dog hot dog man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somehow that, st- that stood out to him, Jeff. I don't know why. Um, you'll make a friend. And one thing that we ask in the show is that if you look to book those pensions or you look to you know, book in these areas, try to find their website. Uh, Google Translate it. Do something. Book through them, please. Uh, don't book through booking.com. Uh, they lose like 30% of their booking fee to those sites so if it's possible for you book through them give them all the funds make sure they're still there make sure they're there for the families it's just a fabulous thing and on my show document that is attached to the notes for today's episode um click on it check it out and see what you have if you have any questions when you book that reach out and be happy to help you with that um for you Jeff, having lived in Japan so long, do you have any travel hacks for people exploring uh, Japan? I mean, this is going to make me sound like a father, but um, (laughs) wear a fanny pack and have a towel around your neck and have a good hat. (laughs) You're going to look like a tourist, but, um, you know, you're not going to lose your wallet. Japan, again, as I've already mentioned, is very hot. So having a towel ever present is is pretty clutch this this but, is um, my yeah i don't know i mean you kids you got a towel you no this is my this is my, a... my my fishing shirt that my kids love when i wear outside that blocks me from the sun and then i ha- <laughs> i have my i have my drawer filled full of towels that are just for japan so i second that towel <laughs> like they call to mind like a Japanese photographer who's traveling abroad he's got like a safari a safari vest just filled with different knickknacks and things like that not just film but you name it probably hand wipe swabs cotton swabs you know like obviously he's got a towel he's got all that he's got probably a pocket knife trimmers you know you you name it be that guy be the guy who's always be a boy scout who's always prepared because i mean i don't know this is just me i came to japan before really you know gps and cell phones and that stuff it's called a garake in japanese it's the old flip phone that doesn't really can't do anything other than make a, a call that's what I had when I arrived here and the internet wasn't really hopping. So I would get out and get lost, you know, and for me having those sorts of, uh, you know, Boy Scout <laughs> equipment on hand was, was 
maybe you don't need them today. You know, wear, wear a pair of flip-flops, trousers, and have your, just make sure your iPhone is in your pocket. If you got your iPhone, you're good to go, people. What am I, what am I, what am I saying? Towel, <laughs> fanny pack, forget all that shit. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, Jeff, though, I'm right with you because I get made fun of everywhere I go because I still bring my paper maps of Japan, <laughs> like, with me in my backpack because I'm just paranoid. I don't do that. Paranoid, I'm in the 21st Jeff. century, Mike, but, uh... <laughs> There's this thing called the internet, but I'm just paranoid that something's going to happen to my phone. And the net goes down, right? How are you going to survive? Zombie apocalypse. It starts, how many times have you seen it start in Japan? Like, how many movies have I seen that this is like, so, uh, but yeah, I'll be safe. Look at my map. I could sleep under it. (laughs) My wife and I just paid a thousand dollars for a weed whacker, like a, uh, a battery charging electric weed whacker. It's called a beaver fittingly in japan and on the way home i was like honey if the if the zombie apocalypse hits this this thing's gonna be great you know you can <laughs> the perfect weapon you know because nobody's got weapons in japan so you need something that even when the power grid is down is going to be available for you and these you know have a couple charged batteries on hand you're good to go so portable sound you go. so solar batteries solar batteries but yes <laughs> um and like if uh, for you too. Okay, I had to get back to your show for a little bit. We're nearing the end, and thank you so much for joining us again uh, today. Super duper appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, My pleasure. Uh, do you have any favorite YouTube shows, podcasts, uh, things about you know Japan that you kind of listen to, or other topics that maybe aren't about Japan that you have as kind of like this is you know Jeff's time of uh, listening or watching or other things? What are some of your recommendations that you could get? Japan specific or not Japan specific? Both, my friend. You, you said I, anything I, will I, go? Yeah, I'm, I'm a lot of uh, column A, column B combined together for column C, you know, whatever, whatever's you. Yeah, I mean, I try to keep tabs on all Japan related content, to be honest with you. So I dip my toe. It, I listen to your show occasionally. I listen to Japan 2.0 occasionally. Um deep dive from the japan times came out i felt like i felt a little sad because like they're right above me now on the list like when you type in deep in japan they're gonna probably get that top slot not me anymore so i was like god damn it you're stealing my my name here but i like their show i listened to that show to see where they're at what they're doing um i listened to disrupting japan yes there's so many i mean really i listen to i try to listen to all of them um there's a weird show out there called Got Faded Japan. Which yes. Yep, yep, yep. I listen to that one as I well, Jeff. I listen to occasionally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> here's the weird thing about that show, by the way. Just a weird bit of trivia. But they had a guy on there that joined the Deep in Japan group, and he was just a total a-hole. Like, the, the guest that was on the show joined the Deep in Japan group. I didn't know who he was until I started searching for him because he was causing such a ruckus in the group. I remember this. We had to boot him from the, from the group. But like he was the guest on that show and he was like really polite and nice as a guest on that show. So, I mean, I, just, I wouldn't have suspected that he was such a weirdo or would be such a weirdo in our group, but um, or so abrasive anyway. Excuse me. But, you know, I listened to that occasionally. Um, there was a weird show, King of Kanto. It's like, it's so niche. It's so weird that like, I don't think anybody who's normal could enjoy it probably, but, uh, I'm a, I'm a wacko. So I really enjoyed listening to that. It's a little bit off the wall. Like, I don't know. 
I can understand why they'd want to hide their identities and not talk about who they are. And I think the show ended because one guy got doxxed, to be honest with you. If I okay. remember correctly, I think somebody from that group got doxxed and it just kind of there, it fizzled. But uh, that was fun. That's a fun little thing to listen to. Yeah. Did I mention Lost Without Japan? <laughs> Appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate it. I, 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 I sent a picture to uh, Jeff recently because I, you know, looked at mine, was kind of looking through the episodes and they're like, recommendation was if you listen to lost in japan have you tried deep in japan and i'm like oh look at this how do i get to be the person at the bottom that's like <laughs> you know there if you're listening to deep in japan maybe you want to you know, it's like come on where's this where's this who did you pay off <laughs> uh, i i'm surprised that happened to be honest with you i don't think most people know about my show and i don't think it pops up very often but even weird podcasts like against japanism which is like a a communist show like i'll listen to that man like uh, if it's japan related i'm usually listening to it now do you have any guests or uh topic and ideas that you're looking to cover uh or get uh you know kind of going forward with the show because i know we kind of touched upon your technical upgrades possibility but do you have any ideas for things you'd like to do or interview for the show for like upcoming 22 or 23 yeah so when i started off there were all these people that I wanted to get on the show. Like for example, Debito, for example, um, Robert Whiting, uh, Jake Adelstein. And a lot of them I thought were unachievable. And I've got these interviews now. And so I'm like, wow, you know, interestingly, it wasn't too difficult to get them on. Um, so I felt like I've hit most of my big targets, but there is one. And that's Alex Kerr. Like, I think I've always wanted to have him on the show, but I've never even reached out to him to, to offer or make the invite. And I think the reason is, A, I think he'd be slumming it. So like, this is a feeling that I have anytime I reach out to anybody to like, you know, invite them to the show. Is like, why, why, the, why the fuck would they want to be on my show? Like, <laughs> what am I offering them? Nothing, really. Like, so I always have that feeling. Like, I'm not worthy. It's, it's, this is so beneath them. Why would they waste their time with me? And I definitely have that feeling with Alex Kerr, especially with Alex Kerr. But I think another reason why I've never reached out to him with an invite is because it would be a hell of a project. I would feel obligated to go through and read all of his books again. So, um, There'd be oh, some prep gosh, work. You lost <laughs> Japan. There'd be some like a prep work yeah. definitely going Dogs on for that demons. one, my friend. <laughs> like I would have a hard time getting through the chapter on, on Japanese economics again, for example. So, and then structure, like there'd, there'd be a lot of prep work. You're right. So like, it's like, it's like my Fujisan, I suppose. Like it's the mountain that is out there that I haven't climbed yet. And I don't know if I ever will, but I think he would be in, and I don't, I don't know if I'll reach out to him with an invite this year, but that would be a fun one to do, I think. My my comfort blanket, Jeff, is I will work on questions for somebody that I want to have on the show, like over time. And when that list kind of looks good, that's when I approach them and I'm just like, hey, you know, this is me, uh, you know, with this show. Here's some questions I'd like to, you know, talk to you about. Here's an example of one of my interviews. Is this something that looks good to you? And maybe that would, you know, work the same where, you know, you could just little bit by little bit kind of come up with some stuff over time and then just be, you know, ready to go, my friend. 
that and I could farm the questions out to the community. Like if I posted up, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Alex Kerr. Anybody have any questions? I guarantee you there'd be hits. So I don't think it would be too difficult. And I, so I don't know what it is. Psychologically, I don't know what it is that's uh, keeping me from sending out that invite. We're friends on Facebook. I, I've seen him like various things that I've posted. I mean, he's aware of my existence as a critter on this planet. So it's not like I'm a nobody. I'd be reaching out to him. He may have even heard a few podcasts. Probably not a lot. I know he's busy doing things that matter. <laughs> I, I'm not. I don't matter. So um, I don't think it'd be beyond the realm to have him on the show. It would definitely be one of those serious interviews where I'm not getting crazy. Obviously, I, I buckle it down pretty good when I have somebody of substance join the show. Um, but maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe that's my goal for next year. Probably not this year. We'll see. I like it. Like, like you said, uh, I think we're providing podcast onsen. You know, you can't get to Japan right now, but we can provide you that onsen, you know, laughter or relaxation or just something to help pass the time. And that's a really great idea. Um, Right. We're providing you a podcast onsen uh, or the, the, the equivalent of an onsen experience in a podcast package. Probably not in my case. Mine's like a maybe a trip to the pub or something like that. But um, but yeah, no, that's if you can provide something like that, something as relaxing and soothing as an onsen experience in a podcast, whoo, you'd have something to sell right there. You know, and I, I think we're we're coming to that time. Four things. Do you have anything that maybe we haven't shared or discussed up until this point? that you want to uh, share with listeners of the show? Um, yeah, just, I didn't put any thought into this. I know you shared the questions with me beforehand, but I'm such a, I'm such an ass that I just kind of set it aside and never got back to it. But uh, thinking about it now, just, and th- this is just for everybody, no matter what stage you are in your Japan experience, but as you engage with Japan and Japanese people, there's a there's a book called The Quest for Certainty by John Dewey. He's a philosopher. And one of the cool things that I like about John Dewey, despite the fact that his books are just horrible to read, incredibly boring and bland, the way they're written. But his idea that you don't want to have any antecedents when you go into anything. You don't want to go into something with any idea, pre-existing concepts or ideas. You just want to have the immediate experience and judge it or value it based on that. I would say stick with that what in Buddhism you would call the beginner's mind throughout your journey in Japan, no matter what anybody tells you about Japan, myself or anybody, try to always see Japanese people and Japan with fresh eyes. Yes. Because it should be able to surprise you. Never get locked into a perspective. That's my advice anyway. Try to moralize. I don't... I don't... <laughs> I agree because it's one of my biggest pet peeves, Jeff, is when you have, you know, you're listening to someone and they have this like checklist or a list of questions that have like supposed correct answers and correct, like this is the way or not the way to do something. And in this world, we're all, all on our own journey and we all have our own way to get somewhere. And if you're enjoying yourself, who cares? You know what I mean? Like for the person that wants to go to Japan and they want to listen, let's say to my show and they're like, Mike, I'm going to go to Kyoto. I'm going to listen to your episode on that. Or I'm going to go to wherever I'm going to listen to it. I don't want to do the prep. 
I'm going to listen to your things. Here's some things for me to listen to and go. <laughs> Kudos to you. And for the other people like myself that love spending like a year or two just in preparation to go somewhere. And I start bookmarking things on my Google map and listing places that I want to go to. That's great as well. But, you know, if we can help support each other, throw out some positiveness into the universe and realize there's no wrong way to go about doing that. Um, I think that's the way, you know, to go with everything. And, uh, you know, in that way, too, I know we said at the beginning of the show. Once again, like, would it be where would listeners uh, of Deep in Japan look to find and support you if they're, you know, with us today for, you know, Lost Without Japan? Where could they find you to listen to your show, your back catalog, though over 160 episodes or communicate with you? I mean, after listening, you know, having Japan 2.0 and yourself on. I mean, those are my goals. Now I got to I got to find new ones <laughs> you know, for this. Uh, but <laughs> where can people go to, uh, you know, buy you a coffee or, uh, you know, uh, find out more about your show? Right, right, right. So, I mean, obviously, you can listen to me on, on Apple. You can listen to me anywhere you get podcasts. I think I'm even on um, Spotify, for example. But uh, if you do listen to the show and you want to support it, you can you can go to uh, Patreon dot com and you can uh, you can join if you. If you become a Patreon and you support the show, you can join the Discord, which which Mike you're a member of, and there's a lot of what I this is my tribe. Like I view I view the people, and there's not very many of us, but the people in that in that group is my tribe. I wish more of them would participate. A lot of them are just lurkers for the most part, but it's a it's a place, it's a safe space, really, is what it is, where uh, weeaboo otaku nut jobs like us can talk about anything we want, and I feel like everybody deserves a place where they can be themselves and talk about whatever they want in life. I think that's pretty important. So, um, yeah, if being weird and talking about anything without any consequences uh, appeals to you, definitely check out, uh, join the discord by becoming a patron, a Patreon. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't, you don't need to support the show. I'm, I'm, I'm not dying. Uh, <laughs> I have, nice microphones and things like that. So uh, there's no need for you to support the show. If you like the, sh- the show and you want to see it grow, then by all means do it. Maybe someday I'll get a road. We'll see. Podcaster Pro 2. Probably not, but you know, that is the, that is the goal anyway. Um, but yeah, support support Mike. You know, you, how come you don't have a Patreon up yet, man? What are you, what are you doing? That takes like five minutes. Can't you, can't you get that going? I have that Patreon page made. But no, like, hey, this is how much you have to spend, because I, I kind of like your recommendation where it's like you can throw your episodes out early or um, with this Riverside, I can have guests. So even though like you and I say an audience, yeah. you know, maybe having that, hey, you can be an audience for the show as it's being recorded. You know, I've thought about that, too. And maybe if that got to be enough, I don't have to clean schools at night for that part time <laughs> job on a regular basis. The one thing about do cleaning, yeah. though, a school, Jeff, is that it's the same thing you do at home, but you're actually paid <laughs> for it. Like picking up after somebody there, I'm paid for it, as opposed to just, you know, it's what you do. <laughs> so it's good times, Jeff. Good times. Plus you get to see all the things that, that kids left behind, like bags of weed, you name it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it, it's just great things. It's the, the things that never go out of style. Let me tell you, Jeff. You know, we're on our way to end the show. Might as well end it in the right place. The things that when I was young that people would do in the restrooms, like boys' room, with like putting ketchup packets underneath the lid of the toilet. Oh, so classic. if somebody sat down it, like it classic. still happens, Jeff. 
still happens. Still <laughs> hilarious, apparently. And people throwing the, the wet paper towels on top. Like, you know, all of those things do you think would like, hey, be gone, uh, not happen anymore. Um, we're not to that like Star Trek TNG you know, society yet. There's not yet. Not, <laughs> not yet. yet. One day. One day. Well, thank you yeah, again. So, so okay. long story short, don't support me. Support Mike. So get your, <laughs> get your Patreon page up. Let's all go over there and support Mike so that he doesn't have to be cleaning up after uh, junior high school or high school kids or whatever it is. That's ridiculous. You know, so it's, you'd think that like you'd just be able to teach and have that be all, Jeff. But, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to tell myself. Uh, every person I come across, they're like, uh, oh, you're the Japan guy. I'm like, you better believe it. Listen to my show. So, <laughs> uh, well, Jeff, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. I um, truly appreciate it, my friend. It was absolutely a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. On behalf of Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us for today's interview. We look forward to seeing you on board again in our next regularly scheduled episode as we continue our discussion on to the next locale day trip recommendation for Japan. So to everyone out there, Oginki Day, stay well, my friends. And for song of the show, I have to figure something out, Jeff. You know, but you always do such a good job of throwing those in in between things, even today. Like, you know. <laughs> It's a gold stripe work for myself, but <laughs> so any recommendations, you let me know. We'll throw it in at the end. And again, for those of you looking for uh, some less explicit material from the show, don't worry. It's coming next. But we had to do today. We had to do today, Jeff. <laughs> You're the first. Sorry, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you all, though. Talk to you all later. See you soon. Bye. Cheers. Jing.